Sweet. Sounds great. Sounds like fisticuffs in the booth. Welcome back to the Ones Ready team room. It's all of us. We're, we're back. Trent made it from the East Coast, wherever he was doing whatever he was. He went, when we say Trent went off grid, y'all, Trent mm-hmm. went off grid. Like, I have respect for it. You just, sometimes you got to get away, you know? You were, and, dude, you were we'll... so far away, you didn't even text. I wouldn't yep. even see your little bubble pop up. I'd be like, dang, my man's gone. I'm not even thinking about answering. Yeah. <laughs> I can never be me on the group chat. This week, we got a great guest for you. He's got an extensive background that's actually super duper interesting. And of course, because the circles in the Air Force are, are small, we just figured out we do a bunch of the same people. But Chris Lott, welcome. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, it's pretty cool to, to be here. First one, um, it uh, looks like uh, I already, yeah, we've known, I've known a lot of you guys, um, some of your guests already. And so it's kind of neat to uh, hopefully bounce some stories off of some of the ones you guys already I've gone over and yeah, happy to be here. First pod. Ooh, first pod. First one. Yeah. Case of beer. <laughs> Case of beer immediately. Man, I'll take some set claws. yourself up for that one. I'll take some claws, baby. <laughs> um, well, you know, sir, just do us a favor, walk us through your history. Kind of, you know, usually we start with, you know, why'd you why why'd you even uh, get into the Air Force? Did you want to be a pilot your whole life? What what uh, drove that that move? Oh yeah. So um kind of a long family background of military service all, all the way back to since the founding of the country, really. So we've, we've got it all the way traced back, but my, more recently, my grandfather was B-52 pilot, flew, flew in Vietnam, Arclight, all those campaigns, um, kind of talked up the air force and got my interest sparked in it. And yeah, I wanted to go in and be a pilot, um, did ROTC, Louisiana tech, go Bulldogs. And, uh, the home of uh, Doug Dynasty and Terry Bradshaw. So two greatest claim to fame there. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, so went in ROTC, um, didn't pick up a pilot slot. I was an alternate select, so no big deal. I was happy to still fly and um, kind of picked up as a navigator back when we called it NAVS. And so fast forward, ended up getting uh, U-28s out of um, NAV school. They had just opened up the pipeline to uh, or opened up uh, U-28s to the uh, initial pipeline. So we went in, did that um, first assignment, Herbert, did that for a while, and then got the option to cross-train to uh, ACUs, did that, uh, fire control officer there. And then, gosh, I guess I stayed at Herbert the whole time. So um, I was one of the lucky ones. And uh, cross-train, uh, after about nine years of uh, active service went to join the guard. So, um, I knew there was something since. about you. You just, you just look <laughs> happier. I knew Gosh, that had to be it. it. Yeah, okay, maybe that's it. Podcast. I don't know. I'll, I'll catch y'all later. <laughs> yeah. Was, we're always recruiting. So, you know, you guys hit me up. So we're cross training all the time. You, um, you keep that wherever that is. You keep that energy wherever you found it. That is a, that is a solid no for me on the guard. I appreciate the offer though. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, good thing. We're, I'm Oklahoma, Oklahoma Air National Guard, MC-12s now, so still sensor operator, but uh, that's on the flying side. So, um, that's where I am now. Um, just sitting in the IG shop <clears throat> at the 137 Sal. Um, and about to, yeah, so that's my background. We can get into the rest later, but uh, nice. that's basically it in a nutshell. When did you, what, when was it real for you? We have people that ask us all the time, and as you're well aware of like what our, like, 
niche audiences is folks that are, are looking to start something from scratch or very, very close to, you know, square one, right? When you were at square one, how did you make that decision to take on this huge undertaking? Like you had the family pressure, you already had people with airframes. So there may have been, you know, you, you might feel some type of way even about what airframe you're flying um, in that in that situation. So how did you make that decision to go from step one to really making steps towards becoming a pilot and get, doing all these things that you've done? Um, let me see if I understand your question. Just what, how did I connect A to B, you know? Um, go ahead. Hold on, is I don't he, hear you. Is he muted? <laughs> I think I'm, he, I muted myself. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. I was trying to say a lot of people talk. How did you start the action to actually start doing stuff? Okay. Thanks, yeah. So That's way, way better and not stupid. Really? Uh, it's probably a lot of, uh, a lot of people in my, like, I guess, age group, you know, nine 11 is really what triggered like where I wanted to be involved. So that happened when I was a junior year, junior in high school, seeing the video, um, of all the attacks. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I want to jump in and participate. That's where I got all my stories from my grandfather and kind of started sparked an interest. And then, man, it was just one step after another. It's like, you just, you know, where you want to go. Um, and it's like, what is my next step to get there? So first it was, um, first it was, uh, you know, I, I gotta, I want to go be a fly. I need to be an officer. Um, I want to be a pilot. Um, so I need to go get, go get my bachelor's degree and all that. So what's the way to do that? I didn't want to go be an academy. I almost went to the academy. Um, I had a recommendation to go. I'm kind of grateful I didn't only because I had kind of a full ROTC experience, you know, kind of, I, I did civil engineering in college, haven't used it at all. <laughs> so a lot of headache for nothing almost, but I got the degree. Um, and then just, uh, took to the next step, you know, uh, yep. Didn't get a pilot slot, but, uh, I still wanted to be involved. I wanted to be a uh, part of where the action finishes out. Like I want to see the results of all of the support, everyone um, involved in the chain to get the, ex the results of in combat of what happens on the ground or in the air. I didn't know what I was going to do. I originally wanted to go be an A-10 guy, but um, Air Force Special Operations kind of like was my home. I didn't, you know, B-52s. Uh, my grandfather, yeah, my legacy, I kind of would have been cool to go do that, but, uh, the fight was in special operations. So that's essentially why I went into U-28s and there was so much secrecy at the time. There was a lot of, it was like a mystery gift, you know, like, Hey, you got this airplane. We don't know what you're going to do, but go do it. You have to be way less than 195 pounds. So you're good to go. Um, so real, true story. Yeah, that was written, I, oh, into yeah. Our, written into the ball three that, uh, had to be less than 195. So. Victim weight, baby. What are we? What it's are we not, doing here? Under two hundred pounds. Inclusive of you. That's no, not. but but I, you know, to, when it's, it's two hundred fifty pounds an hour of fuel, you know, it's like all right, that's almost an hour of extra stations time. So, for you know, but you get a whole light crew. You can get, I think, the records like eight something hours on the U twenty eight. It's insane. But um, anyway, digress. So uh, let's see trying to remember I, I think i strayed a little bit off the question but yeah the next step is just yeah get in there get in the fight um and then get downrange and so being a part of the u28 community was very was huge um getting to see working with all the different teams um the all all different flavors all branches 
all soft. We're we're most like we're most of the time tasked to the you know most secretive, most elite guys just to help support. But um, yeah, just get in there and, and jumping in. I I feel like I'm rambling a little bit on it, but um, no, you're yeah. good. The, yeah, so. the uh, one comment uh, I have though is that you you U twenty eight guys had pretty awesome deployment schedule. At least I, I don't know kind of when you guys first started, but the twenty sixteen at least in like you know the 2015, 2016 time frame, I think you guys were on a it was either like it was like a forty five days on, forty five days off, or a sixty days on, sixty days off. It was something incredible to where I it was just kind of just like a longer TDY schedule. It was pretty awesome. I don't know, at least from an outsider, I obviously wasn't doing that. I was doing longer ones, but I had had longer at home too. So I don't know if that was yeah. good or not for you guys. No, I mean, it was, it made it uh, challenging because uh, you're not home very long. So it was basically to round it out. It, it kind of flowed all over the place, but 60 days home, 60 days gone. And we did that rapidly back when it was just one squadron. Now it's a little bit more stable. Of course, the requirements have kind of gone down a little bit, but um, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, you would fly max out your flight hours that you could do get your, I think it's 330, like max out you could in two months and then go home and maybe fly once. So you could cool off and get recurrent and go right back out the door again. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty rapid, but the best thing about it is you were, you were busy. You weren't out there kind of mm -hmm. sitting around, you know, so that kind of helps get the, the deployment um, over with quickly and you're doing really good things. So um, that always helps, you know, helps uh, pass the time, but yeah, not gone for an uber long time. Um, not those six months, four months. So yeah, I have a several, several U-28 deployments, but they're, yeah, basically TDY is a 60 days a pop, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Not bad. Look at Jared jumping forward to like 2016. I'm still, I'm still trying to take it Sorry. back to the beginning. Like, so you'd mentioned a, a bunch of things that that you'd thought about doing, um, and and they just didn't work out for you, right? Like, uh, but like the the ROTC thing worked out. And when you say a full ROTC experience, I think I know what you're saying. Sounds like a good time. Um, but like the the A10 thing didn't work out. The pilot thing didn't work out in the beginning. Like, what was it that kept you motivated through all of that? Was it just trying to get into the fight, or was it like a combination? of like patriotism, family, and all these things kind of combined to just to keep you moving forward? Um, I still had my why, you know, like why I wanted to go out there and join the military and do the thing. Um, and then it was just how the how changed, you know, it's just, it happens all the time to all of us, you know, you just go to a different way to work or whatever. It's just, you just change it up and do, do, do the next thing that you see in front of you. Um, yeah, it stinks. You don't get the number one thing, but you know, hindsight, I may have not enjoyed that as much as the things that I've experienced, um, that I did. I mean, I don't know what I don't know, but, um, I, I'm perfectly happy with how things turned out anyway. Like a CISO in the AFSOC community is well employed. You know, we are very busy, very in tune with ground team, um, primary on the radios. Uh, so very fulfilling experience nonetheless, you know, and then I got to work with the A-10 guys and, you know, it's like, I'm glad I'm a gunship guy because we get to hang out. These guys are idiots. Yeah. I mean, if, no, we love A-10 No, guys. I didn't say that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just okay, saying they would always get to the, the tick first, but by the time we showed up, we're, we're good to go. We were there to get all the action, you know, eventually. So, I mean, it's just, uh, each has its, you know, niche, you know, so Afghanistan was our niche and 
anyway, but yeah, so just pick up and keep going. Um, things aren't going to work out. I, I've seen your other podcasts, you know, there's some very hard programs that guys try to get into. Um, I would say you twins and get, when I first, the I'm going to go on a tangent here, but like when I transitioned from U20H to the gunship, it was U-boats. So I was basically going to like Microsoft Windows to DOS. I went from a crew of four to a crew of like 13, 13, 14. So like it was a huge change. And um, so many things that you do as a CISO on, on the U28, you're kind of involved in a lot of things and hands-on a lot. But when I became a fire control officer in the U-boats, it was a lot of direction. You know, I did set up things, but I could manage the battle management center and manage fires, manage friendly uh, weaponeering and friendlies and talking to the aircraft commander, like all our group in the back reporting up to the aircraft commander for his approval. And um, it was a huge change. And um, we, don't, um, we don't edit anything. No way. There's no <laughs> editing here. Uh, <laughs> I try to remember where I was going with all that. Uh, don't sweat it, sir. It happens all the time with me. All the time. <laughs> Think things change and you just got to keep moving forward. Find the next yeah. thing to do. Yeah, find the next thing. So, yeah, I guess oh, the the uh, job satisfaction, doing the hard thing. So going into fire control uh, school was very challenging because I basically had every instructor of the crew, every crew positions instructor going through the 19th at the time, 19th SOS for formal schoolhouse. Everyone was also a fire control officer instructor. So um, I would get debriefed like, 14 times or whatever uh, by all the instructor counterparts of all the things that I screwed up, but probably one of the most challenging schools I went through because every time you go up to the range, am I going to go off the range with the rounds? Am I going to mess up my peacetime, you know, no, no fire zones, my peacetime distances, you know, all those things going through you in training. Um, and then just making sure the crew is aware of what's going on. It was, it was challenging. So, I just say that 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 was very hard um, going through that change and then just pick it up to keep going. I mean, I didn't pass all my rides with flying colors, but, you know, I ended up being a good operator in the end um, through all my training. Um, so and it paid off in, in the end, you know, in combat. So nice. Yeah, it's, I just ask because like, there's a lot of people that are like, hey, like if I if I sign up for like Air Force Special Warfare or whatever, like what if this doesn't work out? What if this doesn't work out? It's like, hey, man, like you just need to start moving. And I think that's what we were trying to get at is like, yeah, and, and we've heard the story a million times on here is like, hey, I signed up to do this. I had this idea and it ended up that I, you know, it worked out that I ended up in the place where I should have been, you know, that I fit. And, and you know, I got all the experiences that I, I never even knew I wanted. Yeah. And if you're going to go into something that you're not good at, why do you, I mean, it's going to be challenging for everyone. So like, or if there's something that you can't, that, that isn't a good fit for you. I mean, there is some, there's a reason we have these standards and requirements. So um, there is something that is a good fit um, and you're going to enjoy it and be good at it. Um, it may not be your first thing, but um, yeah. So that's essentially, yeah, exactly. Yes, sir. I also noticed one other thing. When you talked about being at Hurlburt with the U-28s for a long time, you just kind of glossed over it. You're like, yeah, you know, we did some <laughs> stuff and things. Like uh, for, for all the people that may not be aware, can you explain a little bit about what the, the mission set is and, and some of the things that you got into? Yeah, I can um, cover it. Uh, so I'm going to throw the Seal of the Sky joke out there so we get that out of the way. All right, Seals of the Sky. I don't, you know, all right, got that out of the way. Been waiting the um, entire time. Is that, I know. Is, is that a, is that a saying? <laughs> 
I'd never heard yeah, that before. Hundred oh, percent, no, absolutely, hundred percent. It is a colloquialism. It's just one of those. It's like PJs have nice hair. That's it. Like the U twenty eight seal of the sky joke. Yeah. The funniest, the, the funniest variation I ever heard about that is there was a rumor. I cannot verify this actually happened, but there was a rumor that an NSW guy introduced himself and his team as the U twenty eights of the ground, and I thought that was hilarious. Like I thought that was very nuanced. I've heard that before. Yeah, oh, it, it was so fun. I mean, we, yeah, the U28 community, um, it was a pretty cool mission. Um, I was there kind of early on, so we were more focused on the uh, direct action missions with uh, being the uh, TAC-A, Tactical Air uh, Control. Uh, shit, I'm going to screw up the. Oh, tact- boy. Uh, I am screwing oh, it oh, up. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, you talking about warden stuff? Yeah, oh, Warden stuff. Okay. So I totally screwed up the acronym. I don't know why. Oh, I'm no. just, probably just nervous. But um, so yeah, doing the Warden stuff. I hit you know we, the Warden kind of stuck around. But yeah, so that was fun um, working with the ground team. Basically, you're almost like uh, you're helping the JTAC uh, manage the mission. So mm-hmm. we 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 have a huge amount of SA in the air, data links, video. We could reach back to the ops, you know, to jock, talk, wherever, um, back at home, back at the uh, Bagram or whatever. And uh, we have t- had a ton of radios, a couple sensors, a couple of uh, – so we, we would be in charge of bringing in the aircraft as um, TAC-A and managing those aircraft for the JTAC. Uh, managing fuels, managing sensor taskings, make sure we're efficiently using all the assets in the sky. Because, man, we've had uh, – you, you could have several dozen – you could have a dozen sensors in the stack, and then everybody could be looking at the same thing. So you want to make sure everybody's ultimately used. Um, your shooters are kind of defensive, um, uh, overwatch of the friendlies, and then your kind of your best sensors are looking at the objective, making sure the – bad guy's still where he needs to be. And then there's no other bad guys coming to get the, uh, the friendlies that are on the ground. So that's yeah. in essence what we did on the DA side. Um, and then we worked with um, lots of assets. And so trying to be um, knowledgeable in what the other assets could bring to the fight and be that extension of the JTAC on the ground. So that's essentially what we did. Yeah, 100%. You guys were critical to the the success of the battlefield just based off of um, your your time on station the um the sensors you had the amount of radios you had and the the sa and that that ability and that skill set that you guys had to be that tack a or that that warden that you know the 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 warden was a thing and now it's transitioned to to tack a and all that kind of stuff as as doctrinal terms uh kind of get solidified and that kind of stuff but like critical to the success of things on the ground, not just Afghanistan, Iraq, but, but other engagements and contingency operations that we had and still have. So it's, it's awesome. Can't tell you how many times I talked to you guys <laughs> saving asses. That's what you guys yeah. did. Yeah. And so there was some, it's always good to know that you have somebody that has the big picture up in this, in the sky to know, looking at, looking at your back you know, when you're going in to enter a building or whatever, when, when you do the hard knock and everyone wakes up and starts getting, uh, getting active. So, um, yeah, tactical air coordinator airborne. <laughs> That's the, I just, you so did. I was, you did it. Hey, yeah. Acronyms are anyway. hard for us too, because we, we try not to use acronyms and then 
you try and say them out, and you're like, uh, 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 you're like, wait, do I actually, terminal, do I actually uh, know uh, this acronym? Do I know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Am I an idiot? Yeah, so I'm sure my buddies are, they'll, yeah, anyway, but yeah, so later on, there was, I guess the mission set changed a little bit, but um, yeah, it, it, you know, we've like working with buddy lays, you know, we MC12, we work a little bit of that stuff too, you know, kinetic strike buddy lays. Um, where you just have your fires controller sitting in a jock somewhere, um, and they're giving you the clearance to, yeah, that's the other piece of the mission too. So whether you have the guy on the ground or, you know, a thousand miles away, um, trying to prosecute targets. Yeah. So take me back to your first deployment. Cause a lot of people get focused, especially the folks that we get, you know, we talk to everything's about the pipeline, right? They're like, I just want to graduate the pipeline. I just want to graduate the pipeline. And one of the funny things, uh, pieces of feedback that we've gotten recently is, oh man, I went on my first deployment, you know, and it was like, holy crap, like this is real. I got to go, you know, we talked about it with uh, our friend, Matt Scholar, that episode just dropped today, but you know, we would talk about no kidding. That's not the end of your goal. Like the pipeline is the entry to going and doing some cool things. So as you were on that small team, getting ready to go on your first, you know, your first deployment of many, um, where was, where was your headspace at? What were you thinking about getting ready to go on that first trip? Well, um, my first trip was actually to the uh, Philippines. So that was, uh, not bad at all. Um, and so we were doing a little bit of a different, um, mission set there, but I finally got to go to, uh, so I went to have, we did Africa and, and Afghanistan, uh, but the my headspace uh, moving into it is like, how am I, how is my family going to be taken care of? Um, am I ready? Am I ready to do the thing? All the training has, is it, am I prepared to go out there and do the thing? And you are, you go through the training and you're ready. So the training is designed to make you ready. And I'll say that my first uh, DA, um, we we're working with the SEAL team. The, the ground, if you will. Um, so, uh, stop it. Okay. Well, no more, no more of that. No more of that. Um, so first, first, uh, DA ever, um, as a brand new CISO and it was 18 squirters off the objective. So the, you go into the objective, you have guys scatter everywhere. The team's trying to assault and, uh, we tracked them all down. I mean, uh, yeah, so that they train us to the part of the key mission of ISR and the stack is to make sure that we keep tallies on all of those dudes that run off so we can round them up. And so that was hugely challenging, but I was ready. I was ready to go sort to sort to sort them, label them. So all the assets had them and we were able to track them and it paid off. And, um, my family side, we had a great network, uh, at home station with, the spouses and so my family was well taken care of and i think those are just the two big pieces that i had going out the door is like am i ready and is my family going to be okay when i'm gone and so that's and they were i mean it was yeah it's not easy it's a change but there's a ton of support oh yeah that, that you have to be when you're gone that much there has to be support so that's that's good that you got it um I feel like right now is a good time for, for story time. So um, I'll, I'll prime the pump here um, just to tell you a little bit of a little story. And then I, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll, you'll have a, a funny story, but let, here's, here's Iraq early days um, before the, the high definition Ooh. sensor balls. Right. 
and uh, <laughs> and I've got I've got you guys. I've, I've got an AC one thirty. I've got a couple other things in the stack, and uh, this is not going to be politically correct either. <clears throat> um, Hold on, my favorite story. Thousand. And there, what what brought it up was squirter <laughs> control, right? When you start talking about okay, we're going to assign sectors to certain planes. Okay, you know, X aircraft, you have this. X aircraft, you have this. You know, and and go and uh so so we start doing a call out and squirters everywhere it, there was there was probably about 15 of them and they said an animal was uh was going off on his I own know where this is going <laughs> yeah <laughs> keep going keep going yeah. <laughs> why watch you end up being one of the dudes that was in the stack <clears> but, <throat> so yeah so an animal is uh is running right but they were like man it's it, it must be you know a hurt animal injured in some kind of way so it's running towards and it goes to get in it goes hides in a shed and we um yeah so anyway we we end up tracking down all the squirters you know going out on foot and getting them and stuff like that turns out it wasn't uh wasn't an animal it was somebody of my my stature probably a little bit shorter um that uh yeah it was a midget and uh they they struggled to to run that fast and and got there. So again, the not, a, legs. not a politically correct, but it was tick, 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 it was pretty tick, funny. Tick, tick, tick. And essentially, it would be like watching me run out of a building and squirt out of a building. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so glad Man. we got that for All history. Right. You know what I mean? Like when the aliens finally take over because they're in Miami now too. So when the aliens finally take over and they're really doing their research, they're going to be like. This guy was an idiot. Yeah. Was he? Uh, was he your target? Was the question? He was. He, be... was he was. He was not our target. <laughs> be easy he to was an that, associate. Easy to pick he that dude a, out in the lineup. Known associate. <laughs> he was a known associate that may or may not have come uh, out on some documents. We need to ask the followers what. So that you guy's were able to catch is. him because of the way you run, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> we run at about the same pace, so. Well, you had uh, gear on too, so that's not fair. You yeah. slick. You had a, you had a vest and some radios and some ammo. And I got a lot of stories. Um, I got funny ones. I got good and bad ones. Um, I guess the most humorous one I could say is we did we did hit a guy once with our he hei rounds, forty mic mic. Um, and he was wearing his uh, he had RPGs, he had RPG kit on his back, the uh, satchel with the three rounds, and then he had one he had just shot at the ground team. So we we're engaging him and uh we lit his uh rockets on fire somehow and it shot it shot him across the uh, ground like 50 meters so rocket man rocket man was the term for that guy so yes. that song had to play in that post-deployment video when you guys oh, yeah. got home yeah there was that there was uh, there's so many shooting guys in very specific places you shouldn't shoot a guy um uh if you've seen that south park episode and then uh <laughs> Yeah, some of those things, but uh, yeah, is that funny story? Yeah, that's that's one of the funny ones. I got um, man. Well, the Rocket Man's pretty damn funny because yeah. you know you had no idea that 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 was going to happen, right? So I, I mean, it's just, you don't know what those things off. are going to do. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of morbid, I guess, but like, see pants fly off a guy, and that's so funny. I like, I don't even know how that physically happened, but it happened. Five minutes Just ago, like, we were being all like uh, very, very clean about it, like prosecuting targets. And like we weren't actually saying what was going on. And then, sir, you said squirters. 
and Peaches was like, here we go. We're going to talk about just the the nitty gritty (laughs) people dying, pants flying off, rocket people, midgets getting schwacked in in sheds. Like we went off the rails super fast. (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah. We got to draw a line somewhere. Gentlemen, let's take it. Take it, take it easy, my Just friend. Saying, we, we took a hard turn there, real quick, Al. <laughs> we really <laughs> did. Oh my kids. I hear squirters, and that's what I think of is is hitting a target. You gotta stop saying it. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the term. Sorry. It is. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, we're gonna get this back. So, Aaron, fix this. Okay. What was one of the most challenging things about being deployed, man? Or was it just being away from? Being away from loved ones or, you know, the pace for you guys, you you feel like you're never really home and never really gone. And we've heard that before, especially from dudes we know that have deployed on more of a, a regular or more of a um, short pace, um, you know, as that goes, you know, 60 days in, 60 days out. You can get a lot of those done if you just put your head down and go through it. So what was the most challenging thing for you uh, in, in those first couple of deployments, those first couple of trips on the road? Man, for me specifically, um Mm. I'll say that uh, it's challenging to uh, go to an op, um, come back from an op, and it may not have been the best op, and then you have to roll into it the next day. That was probably the most challenging. So, like, you don't get to take a knee. um, And, I mean, I've been on missions where not everybody came back. And so... It's like, man, could I have done something different? Did I make all the right decisions? Did our crew do right? Was I read, you know, did I should I have read this one thing that I should have read or done an extra rep on something or whatever? Um, you just gotta, you gotta look past it. You gotta, you gotta know that you did the, you did what you were trained to do, and you got every, you, you didn't get everyone home, but you got the team home. You did get that person home, and. and it may have been a casualty um, and we're all out there. We, and kind of what I want to talk to you later is that, you know, it's risky what we do. Um, there's risk involved in any aspect of the military. And so we know that going out, that that's a possibility that something like that can happen. So that was challenging. Just trying to rebound from that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I just see it from the air. So I don't get the same impact as like a, someone who is in there hearing all the sounds and everything um, on the ground. But, the other piece is just uh, like family, you know, stuff always happens. There's the thing, the deployment curse. You know, <laughs> my first deployment, my wife was six months pregnant and she had two flat tires and it's the flat and the spare was flat. And uh, she's stubborn. She tried to get to her six month appointment for a pregnancy and she just, she changed it. She's an Arkansas lady. She did it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so just knowing that that stuff's going to happen, the water heater's going to go out, the, you know, your, I don't know. You, you name like it. Like day there's, one. There's got to be a hurry. happens. Yeah. A hundred percent. So that part's challenging. So like just that kind of goes back to that support network. So just having your bros or whoever back home that will help take care of any of that stuff that happened. And so we, since we were gone so much, that was just a, a known that you just take care of your people that are back. So we were pretty good, good about that. Um, yeah. So I think I pretty much hit that on, on the, on the deployment stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a grind. Um, it's, it's like your second life. It's a, it's like you're a different person. That's another piece of it is, I guess the way I deal with it is I just kind of, you know, bury, you know, compartmentalize, just kind of bury it on real, real deep, you know, way down in the, uh, <laughs> way down, as deep man. down as you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> deep, bury it on down deep. 
alcohol weighs a lot too. Um, it's yeah. just a science thing. So if you put alcohol on top of all those issues, they'll keep them buried and they can't go anywhere. It just no, lies way down deep. So uh, I think getting through that is just embracing who you're with um, when you're out there and just enjoying that time with your, your peers um, as much as you can and just embracing it. Um, and it's a different life. So when you come back, you're kind of switch off a little bit, um, go back into your home station, home station life and the training and, do a, do a Disney trip or whatever, and then come back home and, you know, kind of pick up back where you left off. Um, yeah. Yeah. You said something earlier that I want to, I definitely want to get into here. And, and you said something about the risk averse culture in the military. Do you think, do you think that we actually manage risk or do you think we're too risk averse? Oh man, this is a good question. All right. So, um, I think I see a positive trend in the way we're managing risk in the military. Now, I think a lot of guys like you see are becoming colonels and maybe even one stars that have kind of gone through that nine 11 uh, deployment rapid cycle. I, I'm speaking in AFSOC only that I know um, I see improvements. I'd say back in the day, I us as air crew or tactical level, we were managing risk all the time. I mean, we were, Stewart, Devin Stewart, he, he, he brought the gut, the safety cage on the 105 broke on a retask. We were at the ground at Bagram. He, uh, he's like, Hey, uh, sir, uh, I, I think I broke the, uh, the safety cage on the 105. It's like, are you good with going? And I talked to AC and I'm like, yeah, we got to go. There's a tick. We got to go. We're going to have to shoot without it. And so, and that, that was a safety required item that we needed that that's what keeps the gunners from getting hit with the recoil of the 105. You know, that's, that's kind of the, it's more of just a, bar, a visual barrier to keep them out, um, keep the hands and feet out. Um, we went and we managed that risk and went, um, I'll say the past couple of years was challenging. Um, especially with all the COVID mitigation stuff that we went through. Um, it's hard as air crew, uh, knowing the risk that we, accept every day when we go wheels up um to say hey yeah you're going wheels up but you also need to wear a mask while you're in the airplane and that that's that didn't happen to me personally but that's stories from my peers that that happened so i'm like uh are we really managing risk because o2 requirements you know if you have a fire or whatever how we we don't know anything hypoxia so I don't think that we've properly managed risk. Um, we kind of had a, a focus, a spotlight on one thing of, that was a national worldly thing that we just were all focused on, but we kind of threw everything else out the, we reduced our training we reduced our, um, we had guys hanging out on deployments like super long time because they didn't want to bring them home um, because of all the quarantine things and whatnot. I just, I mean, thankfully, ComAfSoc now, General Byrofine, he's already put out a thing saying, we can't, we can't reduce our readiness because of this one thing. We have to look at the full picture. And so he's already kind of put out clear, clear guidance. on like, we still have to train. Like we can't shut that down. We have to go TDY. We have to work with our partners. Um, so I do like seeing that. I mean, General Byrfire was my group commander in the one SOG back in the day when we had Colonel Slife and, and it was Colonel Byrfire at the time. So, um, and I know there's there's history on all that, but uh, it's just I do like that attitude at the GO level of 
I trust my people to make their decisions and manage risk at the lowest level possible. I don't need to know everything that's going on at the geo level. I trust them to handle it. So I, I do see a positive trend in that aspect of it, um, where in the past it was very tightly controlled, um, not at the lowest level. So um, you just think back, like, think of like World War II or whatever. We didn't have pred footage of guys storming the beach in Normandy or you know, like we didn't have um, guys jump, you know, airdropping into the forces in Europe. We don't know what's going on. You may not even hear from those guys for weeks on end at the chain of command. So that type of risk management there, letting those small companies and whatnot manage their own risk to this level is the right answer because it that's how it works. It's you need to trust them to do that. So um I do see a culture of managing risk. Me being on the inspector general side, the conversations I've had with um, BTCs, the general power find and um, other IG teams um, that we need to find what's broken and we need to just, we need to know what's broken to fix it and, or to not fix it and move past it to the other thing that's bigger, that's broken. Um, so you just need to know those things. Um and that's what we do as leaders all the time is we have to figure out where um, where are we going to accept that risk? And so you're, you're, there's always going to be risk. It's just what what level do you want to accept it? Yeah. And we've been talking about this, you know, recently, um, Peaches and I had the, the privilege, privilege to sit down with a SEAC number three, John Troxel, and he was great talking, talking about risk and empowering people beneath them, uh, you know, fantastic leader. Um, but he, he was talking about confusing, you know, risk with, you know, things that actually we, we need to get things done. And I think you said it pretty good earlier on the podcast, you know, we do risky things. The things that we do are inherently have risk. They have penalties. And sometimes that penalty is death, but that doesn't mean you can manage it to death. You still have to actually go do the thing. How important for, for you is it as a leader to empower your people to take those risks? Oh, super important. Um, you, you just, at, if you're in command of a squadron, you just can't, there's just no way that you're going to know all of these things that are going on. So you, you do have to trust your people to be able to manage it. You have to give them the tools too. So you have to ha have that culture, have this conversation, give them the tools to where they can communicate where their risks are. Um, I think, and maybe, you know, as an early captain, maybe later Lieutenant, I, you may be afraid to speak up, you know, because it's like, is this just the problem that I see because I'm just the new guy and I don't know any better or is this actually a thing? And so I, I think a good piece of advice for some of the young people coming in is you have a fresh perspective. You also have a different way you grew up. Um, and so I, one term that's politically, this may be a politically correct statement, but that diversity is our strength is one thing that, I, I get really frustrated with hearing because I don't think it's it's I think they're leaving out a few pieces there. It's diversity of thought, a diversity of background is really our strength. It's not that it's and what I mean by that is that you have different perspectives going into a problem set instead of everybody thinking the same way where you may miss the uh, right. So you might miss a better solution. So I, I'd be care I'm careful about, you know, saying like diversity is our strength. Well, if you say really just different perspectives, different education, different uh, experiences is really our strength. Um, that's really what that means. But yeah, so utilizing those differences from all your people um, 
in your unit to find the best solution is definitely the, or manage your risk is definitely the way to do it. Um, don't go in assuming as a commander that you, you know, everything. And I, I've not commanded yet. Um, but I'm only speaking on like an inspector general side, I guess, you know, and I've commanded deployed, um, and I'm about to go out again, actually here shortly, but, um, the, um, yeah, the best thing you do is empowering your people. One, it makes your job easier, less to think, less to think and less to put your hands on, um, as a leader. And it, it also grows those people and has, helps them learn and become better leaders themselves. Yeah, if, if, if you think you're the, the person with all the answers, you know, and all the experience, then you're just going to stifle the talent that's, that's in your organization, right? And if, if you don't let them move around and, and, and find the edges and fail a little bit and, and, and make mistakes, then, then what are you doing? Like, you, your job should be fairly, like, it's weird that, like, I, all these people make rank and it was like, oh, I'm so busy managing all these things. And it's like, why? Like, you have to talk to, like, three people. And they should be able to take care of the rest of it. They only they bring you like the big rocks that you have to make like huge decisions on. And you make a decision and tell them to move out. I've never understood like the whole I'm in command and I have to be here 18 hours a day to make sure this stuff gets done. And I'm like, I don't I don't understand that at all. Mm -mm. So anyway, um, yeah, <clears throat> that was Trent's rant on on leadership and, and <laughs> well, I mark sure. it down. Yeah, I have a good, a good quote on that. It's uh, and I don't know where it is or who, who I can accredit to, but um, you know, your family or let's see, I'm gonna let's hope I don't screw it up here. Your uh, your family is gonna be the one who remembers how late how late you stay. You know, like your family's gonna remember um, how late you've been at work. Your boss isn't gonna remember that. Your your peers aren't gonna remember that. Um, your family, at the end of the day, they'll remember that. So if you're, there's, there's, I know there's a work-life balance and not all the time we can have our family be a part of that um, because we have a thing we have to go do. Um, but if you're regularly staying up and you're working those 12, 14-hour days, you probably need some things to delegate to your people. You probably have a few things on your list you could hand out um, or there's some process or something that you need to, to work the kinks out on. So yeah, that should be a red flag. If you're if you're gone all the time, I don't care what level of command you're at, it you should be able to reduce that that burden. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that, something else you said when you were like a lieutenant or a captain, you're like, I don't know if I was worried about you know making comments or like trying to fix things, but the way I see it, like if you're like a staff sergeant, lieutenant, captain, like in your Air Force life, that's your your teenager stage, right? Like you should be rebellious. Like you should be pushing the boundaries. And that, that's how we figure out and remind ourselves the best way to do things. Um, so like as a commander, how do you deal with that, that rebellious nature of those, those younger people trying to push the boundaries? I think uh, it's okay to ask why. I mean, so like if you're, if somebody says, tells you to jump, it's like, well, if I tell you to jump, you know, you, you ask how high. It's like, no, ask why you're jumping. You know, like, why do I need to go? Is there a better way? Do I need to jump or is there a ladder? next door that I can just climb up and you know what I'm saying? So, um, rebellious, I don't know if I would call it rebellious. I, when I, somebody questions a, an order is an order. So that's one thing when you have a lawful order and you tell somebody to some, that's one thing. But if there's a question on like how to execute something, a question on a process, question on a decision, it's okay to ask. Cause I think as a leader, you should, your, your intent should be clear. Like, 
you sh if there's questions on that, you, you should probably clear your intent, like clear, like clear it with your people. Like, okay, maybe I'm not very, maybe I haven't been specific about what I want as a leader. And that's why they're asking the question. So take that as a, uh, as an opportunity as a leader to uh, communicate better with your people and then take what they say and see if there's a better way. And if there's not, or if you, as a leader or commander, if you've considered that, that uh, question or the why, um, and you still think your decision's the right way to go, I mean, that's your prerogative as the leader to go. I do think it's probably the wrong answer to not consider another perspective and then go do. So, of course, all this being said is it, it just all depends, right? What's the decision level? What's the severity? How, what's our timeline? Um, but do your best to include your people in the uh, building of that decision. Well, I think that's why a senior NCO is so important to, to the officers because, you know, sure, uh, an order is an order, but uh, that that order probably has to have some discussion beforehand with, you know, whether it's a, a, a fellow officer or, a, you know, a senior NCO, just because like there's different perspectives. There are uh pieces of the pie or, or not pieces of the pie fucking uh parts of the equation variables in the equation that maybe you're not seeing and then i'm seeing or maybe i'm not seeing but you're seeing and then we together you know it but but that is 100 behind closed doors you know between me and you as a as a command team or as a a team that is trying to run an organization um but you're right as soon as we leave that door if if that order is sustained and and still holds, then fuck it, a let's let's go do it. You know. Yeah, there's obviously a right and a wrong way to uh, to question, <laughs> right? You don't want to stand up in front of everyone in the auditorium and say WTF, sir. You know, like I mean, maybe there's a time and place for well, that. Well, if it's but, an all uh, call, you better believe. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Why maybe the there's a time and place for that, but uh, yeah, I mean, tactfully and if, and definitely if you have troops underneath you or whatever, like you know do it. Don't do it. I've had that happen. Like people say, well, sir, why are we, you know, come to me without your peer, like without your subordinates there, like take your feedback from them, then bring it up to me, but don't do it all in front of everyone that kind of just just the uh, chain of command. So um, anyway, but yeah. And it's a tough thing, right? Like the the whole dynamic of the the entire situation. I, I know it's it's hard to talk about it on here to to be like, hey, in these specific situations, this is how we deal with things. But you know, like I think we have a certain certain experiences from our careers, and you have certain experiences from your career. So like, well, you know, it's it's hard for us once we start talking about leadership to like let it go. I think it's like I just want to talk about this the rest of the podcast because it's so important to 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 put out that clear intent to not come back later and be like why are you doing these things this way without a good reason you know like once the execution starts like let your people do their thing and i think you know we've all had good and bad experiences and and but i maybe maybe it's time to move forward you know so uh let's talk about the uh the ac-130 stuff a little bit in the guard why why is the guard so much better than active duty and why are y'all so happy <laughs> i don't like it jeez man it's dude first of all it's it's like uh Man, changing from active duty to guard was a huge culture shock for sure. Um, in active duty, I, I guess we're kind of close, pretty good, because um, 
in AFSOC, there's only like at the time it was really I could go to Cannon or Herbert and most of us were all deploying together and stuff. So you kind of knew of each other, especially Cannon. The hair of the network's pretty good out there because there's nothing else to I think there's an Applebee's or something out there. But um, other than that, everybody hangs out on the street. But uh, <laughs> it's only one street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it's called so, cruising, Chris, and it's fun. <laughs> so how about. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, the, the camaraderie, uh, piece of that, uh, shit, I'm trying to, uh, the, the guard, guard versus yeah, yeah, guard. Sorry. Like... I drew a blank, man. Um, I don't know why I keep brain fog, uh, farting today, but, uh, so yeah, camaraderie, of the guard where a lot of people have been there and you don't move bases really. So like, uh, you're really kind of tied to the mission. So you're locked into the state. So the guard is really the state uh, militia, if you will, that, um, yeah, we go through report up higher. There's national guard bureau, which is kind of like a match comm, but we also, they're like our, they're like our stepdad or they're like our daddy. And then like AFSOC's like our stepdad, you know? So like we, and then <laughs> in our wing, we have air combat command and we have air mobility command because we have an ASOS and we have some aero medical evacuation people. And so like, um, it's, you got aunts and uncles and all that in the chain of command. So it's, it's a little tough. So you got different requirements going on, but, uh, yeah, family, um, uh, no one really goes anywhere. So we're, you have people that have been on that base their entire guard career. And so, uh, at Will Rogers. So we, you, me coming in from active duty, I'm kind of like the new kid coming in. I'm like, nobody knows who I am. And by the way, like half the people in the guard are like related because it's like I was in the guard and my like cousin, then I get married to somebody and then like, you know, so it's, I'm coming as a new guy. So the biggest difference I can draw is like when you, you got a pay issue or something and, and at Herbert, you're going to call the finance number or go in at the two hours or three hours when they're open or whatever it is and trying to figure out when to meet up with them. But in the guard, I'm calling like, Amanda or whoever, like on the phone, you know, it's like, Hey, I got a pay issue. And like, she knows who I am by just me calling her and knowing my voice. So, um, that's a huge difference. It's, that's why we're happy. I think because like, you just know everybody, but it's also, if you go in there burning bridges, those bridges probably will never be built back again, um, on the guard side. So very tactful with how you work with people in the guard. So, and everybody who's there wants to be there because, that's their choice. I mean, they're not obligated under some giant contract or commitment or um, they chose to be there. They can go to another state, you know, they can go to another base and that's just when they decide to do so. And so um, I think in the active duty side, because you kind of moved around and kind of forced into where you're going to some extent, that's probably why there's that difference. Um, you know, and then, that's a leadership challenge is trying to get people motivated somewhere they may not want to be like location wise, or maybe they don't like the people they're around. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's really the big difference. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so as much as Trent loves the guard and wishes he's gone to the guard and, uh, <laughs> he's just so jealous. Yeah. He's just so really every, am. every time we have somebody, a, a guardsman on, he's, he's jealous, but I'm like, stop um, smiling. Can you, can you stop not go it. to like the uh, 125th or something? Go up to Washington or <laughs> they wouldn't he's take too me. old. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. No. Oh, so old. Look at him. I look like, at What him. do you do? I'm like, weather? Him. They're like, but you say you're recon. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, so you have another venture, though, that you, you have started. And obviously, I, I can see the hat, and then I saw the shirt. I think that was Game of Drones. Is that what you got on? Oh, yeah, Game of Drones. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So tell us a little bit about Danger Close Apparel. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's my side hustle. Uh, kind of do it on a part-time side. Very small business. Um, my family kind of helps out a little bit with it. Um, but really, it's another uh, one of 6,900 better-known apparel companies <laughs> on the market. <laughs> um, but really just aircraft-centric. Um, I started off focusing in uh, soft aviation and uh, really just trying to give uh, specific designs for people to that fly or work on different aircraft or work with different aircraft to uh, kind of show that they were there and did the thing with that aircraft. And it's a, the, really the goal of the business. The vision is to connect um, veterans together by what you wear. It's a conversation starter, right? So I don't know how many times I've walked, I've had a spooky shirt on or whatever, and you go and you're just at a, I don't know, a, raising canes or something and some guy walks in and says, like, oh i used to fly on those like and i'm in the middle of oklahoma i'm like yeah you used to fly on uh spook he's like yeah i was a fe like back in like 95 or something and i'm like oh shoot that's awesome um and so really does that conversation start because i think you've ever, you've always gone into somewhere whenever it's always a cool feeling when you meet a veteran or somebody you've served with not knowingly and you start talking like, oh, yeah, I was in Afghanistan this time. Oh, yeah, I was there. Oh, we worked on the same op or whatever. Um, it's just commonality, man. It's just those people, we understand each other by our experiences. And so it's always good to just that those random encounters. Um, and then the other side of the business is a lot of our supply and fulfillment is done through other veteran businesses. So um, we have... Like ROE Graphics is one. They're they're started by Gunship Gunners, um, so they do a lot of our like slaps and decals. And then I'm trying to pick up with Hammer Four One Leatherworks. Uh, once we get kind of settled and talking, he does leather patches and stuff. And then um, yeah, so just trying to connect, building all of our businesses up together. And then in the essence, it just helps the community. So that's really the whole whole gist of it. But we sell our shirts and kind of branching out into like uniform stuff so we have um like ocp like hats and book covers and pin patches and all that stuff that people actually wear on their uniforms so that we could sell and so um that's really the gist of it and uh but yeah dangerclosapparel.com is our our website and so we're always trying to add stuff and it, of course like maybe that's my exit strategy whenever i retire is to is jump in that full swing so there's so many things I want to do with the business, but I'm almost, I'm so limited. And then me being deployed here shortly, trying to manage yeah. the business, it's going to be a challenge. Um, and so thank God I have family that can help, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. There's pesky deployments. I remember uh, Aaron being, <laughs> being deployed and us recording still it's, yeah. uh, the time change. You, you must've been crushed. Um, so awesome. Everybody out there, ch check out dangerclosapparel.com. Uh, get yourself some swag. Uh, last thing, sir, is what, it, and we always try and close with this so that we can kind of leave, um, well, it's, I would say on a positive note, but it's not, some people's advice is not always positive. So, um, so 
take it however you want. But what kind of advice for you, for the folks that are listening, our demographic, demographic is 15 to 27 year olds that are looking to join um, and not always aspect war and not always people that are looking to join actually, but that's the predominance of it. So what advice would you give to them as they look to, to join the air force? Um, I heard, uh, I did think about this cause I've heard you guys ask this on other podcasts and, um, one of the big, coolest quotes I've heard at a re- retirement ceremony was, um, honor the past, embrace the present, cultivate the future. Um, and so I <clears throat> honor the past being, you know, where you come from, know, know your background, remember your background, remember your history, and also know the culture and history of those who've been in the position before you. Um, in your organization and those that have those things that have been written in blood and then embracing the present is uh, you know take time to get to know the people around you while you're there slow down um, I think one of my regrets going through the uh, military is um, I'm just trying to hurry up and get to the next thing and it's like oh yeah I gotta you know I, oh yeah I deploy oh when can I be an instructor you know like when can I be an evaluator like when can I do the next thing just slow down, enjoy the people that are around you and learn from them. Like, yeah, you work with people, but know, like, know their family, you know, just ask how they're doing. I think that would benefit us all. Just kind of, you don't, I'm not telling you to hang out with them every weekend, but just, you know, uh, know the people around you and embrace where you're at. And uh, that's one thing I regret. It's just, maybe it's just because we're, we're deploying all the time, but just like step out of your comfort zone and just get to know people. Um, and then cultivating the future. Uh, your slot, I mean, your slot in a, in a machine, you know, uh, and that, not to put that so like dry, but it's just, you need to be training those people that are going to replace you. You need to be sharing your knowledge, sharing what your lessons you've learned. And shoot, a lot, a lot of us, like, I don't know how it's going to work out with the next generation coming in because we have so much experience, at least on the soft side through Afghanistan, all these places we've been to. And I know there's still soft taskings, but um, you need to share off, offload as much as you can to, to the people that are coming in behind you and just sit down and share a beer and have a story um, and talk about those lessons learned. Um, Cause those people are really, they're, they're going to take your spot and they're going to grow and you need to make the air force better, make the community better by, offloading those lessons and so those are kind of the i guess i gave you kind of three but it's just all that together just remember that you honor the past don't forget where Mm -hmm. you came from don't forget the people before you those hard lessons embrace the present know the people around you and and take advantage of the people you know and then cultivate the future you know train your replacement groom mentor um make them better than you were and so impossible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, wh- whether I know the air, the air forces is, is focused on aircraft and stuff like that, but really it's the humans that make it do what it needs to do. It's the things that are on, you know, that need to happen on the ground happen because of the humans that are actually out there doing it. So, and that's why, you know, it's soft truth. Number one for us, humans are more important than hardware. So, you know, it all that ties in and, and that really resonates across the soft community, whether that's, you know, ground based dudes like us, folks that are flying in the air doing doing the Lord's work. So uh 
definitely appreciate that. So appreciate you coming on. Appreciate all the things that you have done in the U28, the AC130, and the MC12, which you're doing now. So, you know, we we appreciate you taking the time to to join us on here. And then obviously for everybody out there, uh, check out Danger Close Apparel and get yourself some swag, some merch. And then uh, also check us out on onesready.com. Get yourself flag shirts, patches. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, we got a bunch of stuff on there. Why you there, Trent, maybe? What, what do you have, Trent? When is the Squirters shirt coming out? Okay. You I'm know what? Curious. I knew I shouldn't have <laughs> called on you. I knew right, the second well, that you it. raised your stupid are... hand, I knew I shouldn't have called on you, and I regret it now. And welcome back, and I missed you. But, man, we were almost out of the Squirter Woods, and now here we are. <laughs> This is what I do. Oh my god! I appreciate you guys having me on. I um, that hour went by quick. I, it does. I uh, had a lot of things I wanted to say, but um, maybe we'll do a different one. But I just uh, appreciate it. Um, and yeah, check out the website. And I'm gonna throw. A, I don't know if you guys want to do like a code or something. I can. I have a code set up for you guys. Throw it out there. You already um, got a code set up. Nice. Yeah, I do ones ready um, at checkout, and I think it's twenty percent off. So if you guys want to do that, and then. And oh, credit, yeah. credit these guys for that too. So help help them keep going. But uh, nice. But yeah, I appreciate, off. that's good. Yeah. So try to make it sweet for these kind of things, and um, <laughs> all one of them that I've done. So yeah. <laughs> awesome, sir. Well, Thanks for coming on. We appreciate you. All right, fellas. Appreciate it. All right. We're out here. Later. Later. Later.